Hello. How are y'all doing? Awesome. I'm going to see if this works real quick. Because if this will let me, I'm going to really freak out the people in the back. And I'm going to change on the fly what I was going to talk about. So hold up with that, because if this works, I'm going to change it. Okay, never mind. It's good to see you all. Hey, let me start by introducing myself. Um, my name is Doug Belisle, and I know your pastor, Frank Bennett, from way back. Um, I guess not like decades, but for about... I guess seven or eight years, um, we served on staff together down the street at Cartersville First Baptist, and uh, got to see the um, got to see the process of the birthing of this church. And um, what a cool place! We love your pastor, love his family. Um, so excited to be able to to fill in here um, in in his shoes. I was going to joke with y'all and say, let's turn to the book of Revelation, but there's no more chapters. So, uh, but Frank has been telling me about that series, and I've been so excited to hear um, that y'all have been going through that and are excited about the fact that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Amen? He's coming. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is actually what comes after that last verse in the last chapter of Revelation where it says, and he who's spoken these things says, Lord Jesus, come and amen. What's next, right? So we're waiting. He's not come back yet, right? Because we're still here, right? So what... What's next? What do we do? Um, and we'll open just by kind of asking some questions. Um, and first of all, like a pretty simple question, but maybe a trick question, so don't, don't be fooled. Um, where are we this morning? Oh, this is, okay, see... <laughs> Let me back up. This is going to be how this works. See, I'll ask some questions, and then you have to respond. That's, see, that's where it's almost got marriage-y. Like, what? Are we watching football? Um, okay, so I'll ask a question, and then you respond. Okay, we got it? All right, where are we this morning? Okay, all right. So again, where where are we? Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's no, that's actually that's what I expected you to say. And if you'd asked me this morning when we were getting ready, we were getting ready to go to church. But that's really not the case, is it? I mean, where we are is we are standing or sitting, in your case, at South Central Middle School, right? 
this place is just a place. So then where's the church? Oh, now we're getting someplace. That's exactly right. Church is not where we go. Church is who we are. See, and that's a fundamental thing that we have to understand as believers as we move towards what comes next after, amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. was a great message for the church, but from those words, amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to where we are today, to when he comes, we've got work to do, right? And we being the church, right? So if we've got work to do, it's important to understand who we are. Church is not a place that we go. Church is who we are. Church is us meeting together. We're meeting together as the church. And we correct each other in my family all the time. We will, we will say, or I'll correct myself more, more, more times than not. I'll say, all right, we're going to meet with the church today. We've got to get ready. Tomorrow we meet with the church. Um, and if we'll get out of the habit of saying we're going to church, we will start thinking of ourselves as the church, and that will affect who we are. Um, I found this article last night, and it's, it's strangely enough, it's an article that, um, that was written several years ago um, by a, an author in the Baltimore Baptist Examiner. So this was pre all the stuff that happened in Baltimore, like years pre. Um, and it says something more, a review of attractional church. And, I, and I'm, if you'll... If you'll humor me, we'll, we'll read this article and then um, we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. It says, recently my family and I had an incredible experience at a church in Baltimore. The church, which shall remain nameless, did everything perfectly. The front door was held open for us by a gentleman with a kind smile. I immediately felt welcomed. The layout of the entryway was awesome, even though it was my first time at the church, and there were a ton of people coming in and out, the natural flow of traffic let me know exactly where to go. The welcome desk was well-labeled and prominent on the left side of the entryway. It was staffed with friendly, helpful people, and there were no lack of easy-to-approach greeters with clearly visible name tags standing around, expectantly hoping someone would ask them a question. Number three, beyond the welcome desk, there was a room full of breakfast treats, and the smell of coffee was in the air, a huge plus for me. The greeter identified us as visitors and led us to the children's check-in area. The children's Sunday school check-in desk was also extremely easy to find. Check-in was great. One of the workers escorted us to the classrooms, explained to us the security procedures, and answered any and all the questions we could possibly have. Next, the worship service was impeccably pulled off. The music was sincere, not showing in any way. There were multiple worship leaders, but it was extremely smooth and enjoyable. The songs were relevant, fresh, and easy to pick up for someone who might not know them. They did a great job of trying to help people engage Christ without terrifying those that might be new to the church experience. 
The sermon was clear, relevant, and engaging. The pastor's points were well thought out and communicated. My attention was held the entire time. There were no unnecessary rabbit trails or rants. It was challenging but not offensive, informative but not burdensome, fun but not ridiculous. It was a good message. After the service, we went to get our kids, and they were beaming. That's right. Our kids loved being there. Usually a new church experience will send them all into tears, but not this time. They couldn't stop sharing stories about how much fun they had. This church is a well-oiled machine. They have it down. They do all the things church growth authors say should be done to create a wonderful church experience. They pull off an excellent, attractional worship service. As we drove home, I asked Wendy what she thought. Reflectively, she said, that would be a very comfortable place to fall into, but there has to be something more. I agreed, yeah, that was amazing, but I don't believe it's going to turn Baltimore upside down for Jesus. Now, please don't think we're being judgmental or critical when we say there must be something more. You must understand. First, I think this church is incredible. I've attended a lot of churches, and I've never been to one that pulled off an attractional worship service like they did. Seriously, they did an amazing job. Second, please know I'm very much part of this church, and therefore commenting on myself as much as my experience this past Sunday. Now, I'm not a member, but I celebrated and worked in churches like this one over the years. Like this one, one over the years. I applauded when churches like this one risked everything, denied all contemporary wisdom, and fought the status quo to become environments that were comfortable and inviting to outsiders. I cheered, blah, 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 seeker-friendly, bring your lost friends. So you see, when I speak about the attractional church, I'm not an outsider. It's very much a part of me. It has defined my walk with Christ. It's been the beat of my heart. But recently, my heart has begun to ache. And this is where it gets important. Back to something more. My problem is twofold. First, I believe the church is the only organization that can bring healing to the pain of Baltimore. Because it is the only group empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is the only group that can bring dead things to life. Second, the things that used to work the things that used to excite people about coming to church, the stuff that used to bring people to the healing power of Jesus now seems to be the status quo and is no longer working like it used to. The people in my community that are disconnected from God are not attracted to our worship services anymore, no matter how relevant we make them. This is just not my personal experience. There are tons of studies out now showing that less and less people everywhere, every year, are are attending church. They don't care what the music is like. They don't care about how relevant the message is. They don't care if it's welcoming and inviting. You see, the attractional-based model assumes that there are groups of people out there that would attend a worship service if that worship service was simply welcoming and inviting. In an attractional church, the primary activity of the body, the front door, where people are introduced to the church, is focused on being comfortable and exciting, is therefore unintentionally feeds the consumer attitude and already present in our society. Now, I don't know how to fix this yet, but there's a few things I've come to believe firmly in the last year. One, we have to stop making our front door, where people come to check us out, a worship service. We need to make it our lives. People should not encounter the Holy Spirit for the first time by watching believers worship. 
they should be introduced to the Holy Spirit through insane, crazy, wild, reckless, sacrificial love of Jesus that defines everything we do, every conversation we have, every breath we take. We should not be known for our music, our teaching, our environments, or our kids' programs. We should be known for our humility, our brokenness, our passion for the poor, our acceptance of the outcast, our forgiving justice, our non-judgmental righteousness, and our generous giving of ourselves to others. We must stop making the tools the point. We have, we have to recapture what Jesus meant when he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If we continue to make our worship service, our programs, our small groups, our activities, our spiritual disciplines, the defining focus of what we do, we will find ourselves losing Jesus on the journey. So, long article, summarize in a few things. Number one, we're losing our culture. Would anyone argue with that? We're losing our culture. Um, let's do some statistics just here in Bartow County and just to kind of make this real. If your birthday that we see, this is where we, we, we're going to have some participation. It's going to be so fun. Um, if your birthday is in January, February, or the 1st through the 15th of March, stand up. Okay, do you see the people standing? Statistically, in Bartow County, this, these people standing up are in worship this morning. What does that mean? That means all of you that are sitting down are not in a worship service anywhere in Bartow County or outside Bartow County this morning. That's the average. Okay, you can sit down. Does that shock you a little bit? We're not, people aren't coming to church anymore. Now, as someone who cares very deeply for the church and as someone who, for a long time, my business <laughs> was doing this, that's a scary thing. So as church planners and as church staffmen and as, as, as professional churchers, what we, what we do is we go, how can we get more people to come to church? What can we do? How can we... How can we boost attendance? How can we? And while those are good questions, I don't know that all the times necessarily are those are the right questions. And I think this article kind of gets at that. Our first line of defense, our first line of attack can't be come to church with me tomorrow. Like he said, the first experience the first time people experience the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be by watching us worship on Sunday morning. It should be through the outpouring of our lives. The way it should be us, church, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because wherever I go as a believer, guess what? I'm the church. 
Okay, so that's all good stuff, but does the Bible say anything about that, right? Because I can have a lot of opinions and I can read a lot of articles, but that's not God's word. And guess what? God's word does have a lot to say about that. This morning, I want you to take out your Bible and I want you to open up to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 9, and it's going to be up on the screens, but let's take just a minute and pray. Father, we um, thank you that you're here, that you were here before we got here this morning. God, that you were here anxiously waiting for us to come and to worship you and to lift high the name of Jesus. So God, we acknowledge your presence this morning. We acknowledge that you're here waiting on us. God, that you're here waiting on us to connect with you and to hear from you and to feel your love. God, that you desire to come in and invade our lives and to change us and to make us into the people that you've called us to be. God, as we open your holy word this morning, we ask that you would change us We ask, God, that our hearts would be open and that our minds would be focused on who you are and on what you have for us. And Holy Spirit, speak and do what you would do this morning. We give you freedom and reign in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So look at Romans 12, and here Paul is writing to who? The church in Rome. This is one of Paul's letters to the church in Rome. And it's one of his most important letters, I would argue, because it's got a lot of theology and a lot of doctrine and sometimes can be very um, tiring to your brain to go through. There's just a lot of meat and not much fat in the book of Romans. But there's great stuff. Some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Paul writes to the church in Romans. We're going to be in 12, starting in verse 9, because this is where Paul starts talking about who the church should be. Now, your Bible might have a little title over these section of verses. My Bible has a title. It says Christian Ethics. So this is, Paul is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit to tell us as the church, what are some things that should characterize the church as we try to influence the community, right? Because that's the point. That's why we introduced that article. That's what we're talking about this morning is if we're not changing the culture, how do we do that? What are some things that should characterize us other than to say, hey, you need to be the church Monday through Saturday. Amen. Let's have uh, an, an invitation. No, I'm I want to know, how do I do that? Just give me something more than we got to do that and goodbye, right? So let's read. Let's see what God's word says. Verse 9 says, love must be without hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? It's got to be sincere, right? Don't fake it. It shouldn't be like, oh, I love you, brother. Good to see you. And, And then... I could care less if I ever see you again, right? Love is an action. 
and it should show itself like ought to know that you love me. We ought to know that we love each other. It ought to look like something. There should be evidence of it, right? Love must be without hypocrisy. It must be sincere. It's the real thing. As people walk in and they see the church in relation with each other during the week or here on a Sunday morning, they should go, well, something, something different about those people. They kind of love each other. That's really weird and cool, right? Love must be without hypocrisy. But it's not just that. It's not just genuine love. It's also purity. Look at the next part. Detest evil. Detest evil. We ought to detest evil, right? We are not about evil. We're against it. And we're for good. Cling to what is good. Now, the great argument of this generation is, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know what's evil and what's good? Anybody? How do we know for sure? Oh, thank you so much. Whoever said that, you don't have to tie this week. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't tell Frank I said that. God's word, right? God's word is how we know what is evil and what is good. Why? Because God's word is the inerrant, infallible, trustworthy, accurate word of God. God in this book tells us what is evil. He tells us what is good. Everything that we need to know. In fact, Peter says, hey, everything you need to know to live a, a life of righteousness and godliness is contained in the pages of this book that more than likely you have multiple copies of in your house. And if not, you've got an app on your phone that's got multiple, you know, translations. This book tells us what is truth and what is evil and what is good. Now, our culture will say, well, right? Well, it doesn't really mean that. No, it, like God's word is not, we shouldn't read it and go, oh, I don't know about that. Is that really, you know, it's pretty clear on the, the really important stuff, isn't it? Like we shouldn't lie. You, you don't go, well, I mean, some lies are okay. My Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Guess what that means? Lying is wrong, right? And I should detest it. It says, love one another. So guess what? That's good, and I should cling to that. So if you want to know what is evil and what is good, what do you need to do? What do we need to do? Oh, we got to know this. We got to know this. And I'll tell you that one of the difficulties that the church has had in being able to change the culture is by and large because we don't read this, we don't know what's in it, and we don't know what to cling to and what to detest. And that's so important because we can't be righteously different, we can't be pure 
if we don't know what this book says. And if we don't know what it says, then we just live like everybody else lives, which is why we've lost the culture. So read this book. In fact, um, there's, we, I won't make you stand up, but there's another survey that's been put out just recently that says 85% of Christians, not of everybody, 85% of Christians feel stalled out in their spiritual walk. They just feel like stalled out, like, eh, eh, you know, they're not excited, they're not growing, they're not, and you know what they, they found would make the biggest difference? If you'd spend 15 minutes every day, if we'd spend 15 minutes every day and open this book up and read it and talk to God and say, God, help me to live what's in this book. That would make the difference. Like, that's not a hard pill to swallow. It's just 15 minutes. And there's like 13 of these, but I promise they won't all take that long. So, love, purity, three, verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. We should be like a family. I mean, like a good family. Some of you are like, no, my family. But like, it should seem like family. It should seem like this is where we belong. Like we, have you ever met someone? Okay, this is crazy. Have you ever met someone like in an airport or in a restaurant or in just like a, a casual setting that you don't know, but you find out that they're a believer? And instantly, it's like you have this connection that's huge. We should be like this. We should be like that. We, we should be like a big, happy family. Show brotherly affection to one another. Show family affection to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Next, verse 11. It says, do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So that's a fancy way of saying, listen, don't be lazy. We, there's work to do, right? Jesus hasn't come back yet. I'm, Jesus hasn't taken me up to heaven. There's work to do. We ought to be busy doing the work of the kingdom. We ought to be busy about God's work. That means we've got to know what God's work is, right? That means tomorrow morning when I get up, one of the things that I should be conscious of is, God, what do you want me to do today? Because I'm going to work, but I know that who I really am is a disciple of Jesus Christ who's called to make disciples. How do you want me to do that today? How do you want me to bring your kingdom today? We've got to be conscious about that. God has work for us to do, right? We need to be conscious about what that work is. It's hard work, right? It's hard work because it involves people and people are messed up and broken. I'm the first one, right? So we need to be busy about God's work. And that work is carried out in the spirit. Verse 12, look, it says rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Why is that important? Why is that important? 
Okay, I'll tell you. It's important because there's not a lot of hope out there. <laughs> Have you watched the news lately? Have you been outside the doors of your house? Like, there's not a lot of hope. People are afraid. People are dismayed. We, the culture is like, <sighs> we have a hope, right? We have a hope. And let me tell you why we have a hope. So I'll tell it by telling the story. I've got a good friend in Texas. He and his wife, some time ago, woke up one morning. His wife stepped out of bed, squish, squish, right? He steps out his side of bed, squish, squish. Whole floor, like an inch of water. They look, the toilet has overflowed all night long. You know what they did? They got up and they got dressed and got ready and went and had breakfast. Didn't think a thing about it. You know why? Because they were staying in a hotel. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know, that's funny, but guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, this old place is just a hotel. This is not your home. This is not my home. My home is where? My home's heaven, and Jesus come and get me someday, or I'm going to die and go be there. But that place is perfect. I have hope because this is not my home. I have hope because this place, I'm just passing through. Guess what? If you're not a follower of Christ, that's not true for you. This is as good as it gets if you're not a follower of Jesus. This is as good as it gets. Oh, rejoice in the hope that we have. Why? Because God's in control and because this isn't home. That's awesome. Second, be patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. Why? Because God's in control. And because this is temporary and it's light and every affliction as a believer just makes me more like Jesus. It just makes me more like Jesus. So I can be patient in those times where everything's not going right because it's just temporary. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Why? Because prayer changes things. Prayer changes things things. Prayer changes things. Like God's word said, hey, you have not because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with totally the wrong motives so that you can spend it on yourself or so that you can... Listen, God has invited you and me as followers of Jesus into this crazy relationship where we can ask in prayer and God will move on our behalf.
And the reason that doesn't excite you is because you don't believe that. Think about that. If that doesn't excite you, it's because you don't believe that if you would ask that God would deliver And listen, I'm not talking like Elijah. God said, hey, Elijah, it hasn't rained in three years because you prayed and said, stop the rain, and I did it. Go pray, and it will rain. And Elijah went up on a hilltop, and he took his servant with him, and he bowed down, and he prayed. And he said to his servant, go look. Servant goes and looks, and he comes back. He says, Elijah, I don't see nothing. Now, this is Elijah, y'all, right? Like, Elijah's one of those guys that, like, dead people come back to life and crazy junk, right? Elijah that prays and fire comes down out of heaven and burns junk up. Like, so Elijah, a second time, goes, and he prays, and he says to his servant, go look. And his servant goes and looks, and he comes back and he says, nothing. This happens seven times. Seven times. Because what does that say? It doesn't just say prayer. It doesn't just say pray. What does it say? What does it say? What does it say? It says be persistent. What does that mean? It means don't give up, right? Don't give up. I would not be married today if I said to Sarah Bilal, hey, do you want to go out just one time? Because you know what she told me the first time? Uh-uh. <laughs> right? I would have zero kids. I would, like, I would be single as a Pringle. Like, I just made that up. We've got to be persistent in prayer. And we don't just pray once and go, oh, God didn't answer. Must not be God's will. Listen, you pray persistently. You don't give up. Elijah didn't give up. It's the work of prayer. It's the work of prayer. We have an audience with the Father, with the Creator, with the one who is all-powerful. And that we would not take advantage of that of the time that we could spend with our Father. And if we would not ask, if we would not spend time, then we won't see powerful things happen. We won't see the culture change. We won't see revival unless we continue to persistently say, God, send revival. Jesus, come. God, just sit down here and and change us. We won't see it unless we're persistent in prayer. Look at verse 13. It says, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Share with the saints. That means a couple of things. It means, number one, it means generosity, right? Sharing means that we share. I'm not good at sharing, Sharing means that we share. Like we, if I have something, that I share it. Because why? It's not mine in the first place, is it? I mean, if I really truly understand 
that everything that I have, if I'm a believer, I've surrendered everything I have to God, including my pocketbook, including my checkbook, everything is his. So if I have and you don't have, and I can share with you as my brother or sister in Christ, bring it on. That ought to characterize the church. Or characterize the church. But that's hard when we don't have that perspective that it's not mine. Um, and I've always wanted to try this with a small group, but I, I never had the guts to do this, to say what would happen if in our small group we said nobody should have any needs. And we just pooled and paid off debt and pooled and helped pay off and, and pooled. And wouldn't that be cool? But guess what? You got to be real in that because what somebody's wife comes to church one morning with a new outfit on in your small group and you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's how we get like, we're like, mm, oh, I see. I see how committed you are. You're not as committed as I am. Look, I'm wearing the same thing that I wore last week. They go wash it. <laughs> right? See, we get that way. We're like, Ugh. we got to share. We, we, we've got to have that perspective of generosity. We've got to ask God to give us that. We mirror him when that happens. That also means benevolence. It means we do good to others. We share with the saints. That starts with believers. It starts with believers. There should not be anyone in this body of believers who is homeless. There shouldn't. There shouldn't. What kind of example is that? When your own brother or sister in Christ is struggling like that and you live in high on the hog. That ought not to be. That ought not to be. But that requires some openness and it requires some vulnerability. And it requires a lot of things. God, help us in that. I got to finish this up. I got to land this plane. Hospitality. I'm going to do, we're going to finish real quick. Y'all, y'all all right? Yeah. Oh, you're so good. Um, hospitality. What does it say here? It says what? Pursue hospitality. That's like persistence in prayer. We have to not just be hospitable. We have to pursue hospitality. We have to go after hospitality. And listen, this it's huge if we want to reclaim the culture. This is huge if we want to reclaim the culture because guess what? We hang out with people who are like us, right? I mean, that's just kind of naturally how we... How, when's, and I'm preaching to myself here. When's the last time that you had your neighbor over for dinner or dessert or something like that or you even know your neighbor? Hmm. When's the last time you sat down at a meal with somebody from work who was struggling or somebody who for sure wasn't like you? Um, it's been a couple of months ago, but Focus on the Family is on Christian radio at, at lunchtime, and I, a lot of times we'll listen to them driving to and from and there was a lady on the program <clears throat> a few months ago named Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. That's a hard name to forget. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. She was, and she was telling her testimony. She was a professor at a university. She was the professor of um, 
women's studies and liberal history and this and that. She was a practicing um, lesbian and hated, was, uh, was, was, was an atheist. And a pastor came into contact just in their neighborhood and invited her to dinner, her, her and her partner. Said, hey, come eat with us. And she was like, it was great. We sat down and we ate and it was, it was fine and we, we didn't talk about anything weird. It was, it was all good. And then he asked me if I'd ever read the Bible. And she said, I had not, but I'm a literacy professor, so that would make sense that if I'm, you know. And they got to talking and she started reading the Bible. And guess what happened? Through this very long, messy process, God saved her. She's married to a pastor today, and she writes Christian books, and she's like, how cool is that? That happened because someone said, hey, come eat. Someone pursued hospitality. I have a feeling that if we did that more often, that there might be a difference in our culture. All right, we're going to cover these next few because they're very simple. They don't, we don't have to explain much of them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's different, isn't it? Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It's pretty straightforward. Do not repay anyone for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fire and coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. We could sum up all those verses just with this. Be different by loving everyone especially the people that don't love you. And the only way that happens is if we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and we esteem others higher than we esteem ourselves. We, there's no way to do that but, but in humility. There's no way to do that in humility. And that comes when I say, you're broken, I'm broken. We all need Jesus. So, how do we land this plane? In just a minute, the band's going to come out. And they're going to play, and there's going to be a time of response. Because here's what I know. I know that God said that his word would not return without accomplishing what he wants it to accomplish. And so because God said that, I believe that because his word was spoken, that God spoke to you this morning. I don't know what he said. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've just been playing a game and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ who loved you and gave his life for you. I don't know. Maybe God's spoken to you about your relationship with him, that you need one. Maybe God wants you to join this fellowship of believers at Lake Point Church. Maybe God's spoken to you about something else and you just need to do business with God and, and, and come clean or you've held a grudge against somebody in this room and you need to, 
talk that through. I, I don't know. But you know. Because God's spoken to you. So here.